Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Dan's guest this week is Gavin Fitzsimons, professor of marketing and psychology at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. Oh, Gavin, it's always good to chat with you. You live like a life that is between a researcher and candid camera, right? <laughs> I, apparently so. <laughs> so, um, so what is this thing with the fat suits? Well, uh, first off, we refer to them as the body prosthetics. but uh, Body prosthetics. It's much more politically correct. Exactly, exactly. But, but they make people look what? They make people look larger than they normally would. Uh, by, by how much? Um, so the, um, we had this suit professionally created uh, out in Vancouver where my collaborators are um, by a, uh, actually an Academy Award-winning costume designer. Um, and he created, uh, or his uh, team created this uh, body prosthetic, which takes uh, our confederate, an actor, a young woman who's normally a size zero zero. She's quite thin and quite trim, and turns her into zero zero. That sounds very it, little. It's very. She's very. I mean, she's like five feet tall and a hundred pounds or something okay. like that. And it uh, turns her into someone that would have uh, that wears a size sixteen. So like it, like how much would she weigh if she was it was real? If it was real, she would look somewhere in the 170 pound range at five feet tall. Wow, almost doubling her weight. Yes, she, it's very dramatic. I mean, very dramatic. Now, the people that are making this, is this the market for these suits? Uh, no, the market for these suits is, is films. <laughs> <laughs> but we were an unusual uh, customer for them. How much did it cost you? That is an excellent question to which I don't remember the answer. I, I, okay. Yeah. Think of it as homework and get back to me. All right. Okay. Well. So what, why did you do this? Um, we, there's been a lot uh, of talk recently about uh, how uh, the people that we dine with can influence what we eat. And like if they eat spicy food, we eat spicy food? Uh, or, or if they eat a lot, we eat a lot. If they eat a little, we eat a little, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but it's always been focused on, on people you know, in our families and our good friends and the people that we're choosing to dine with. And, and the general evidence is if you sit in a table with people eating lots, you'll eat a lot. If people take seconds, you'll take seconds. If they'll eat dessert, you'll eat dessert, kind of that stuff? That's the basic idea, and okay. that's the basic result. And, and people have made some fairly controversial claims about how far that extends uh, even to the degree that you can be influenced by uh, the amount of food that your friends are eating, even if they don't live in the same city. There's a lot of debate about Okay, that. this is the social network kind of exactly, a thing. Exactly, you, yeah. you got it, you got it. So, but what we were interested in was more than just, you know, what people that you know and, and care about are eating, how that's going to influence you. We wanted to look at what, how the influence of just totally random individuals on the streets sitting at tables beside you that you don't know, you've never interacted with, could they actually influence your eating behavior through their eating behavior? I see. And? And the answer is yes, and dramatically so. So when you have people... So how do you do this? you send people to go and eat next to other people and eat a lot? Uh, essentially what we do is we, we have sort of uh, what we think of as like our movie paradigm. So imagine you're going to the movies, and um, you stop at the snack bar on your way to the movies. Uh, there's someone in front of you in line. They order either a small amount of snack or a large amount of snack. So, so that person works for you. The person who is ordering, they're a stooge working for you, and they're going to manipulate what they order. Absolutely. We prefer actor to stooge, but yes. Uh, okay. so, so, um, so we hire this actor, uh, a young woman that comes in and, go, and actually 
she's in front of the person in line, the participant in line. Now, this woman ate lots of snacks. How much weight did she gain during this experiment? Actually, the way it was set up, we wanted to rule out that we would turn her into a 170-pound person. Um, you, uh, the snack bar was a collective area where you went up and ordered from the snack bar, and then you went to individual screening rooms to watch the film. And so they didn't actually observe her eating the food. They only observed her ordering. I see. So just ordering. Okay. So when she ordered a lot, other people ordered a lot. And when she ordered little, other people ordered little. That's the general result that... that wait, uh, wait. What about the fat suits? Yeah. So there you go. So the, the basic result is that we order what others in our environment <coughs> are ordering. So if they're ordering very little, we'll order a little. If they're ordering a lot, we'll order a lot. What was really interesting for us and really the thrust of what we were doing was to see how someone being large would uh, would potentially interact with this result. And the, the, the gist is that what we do is we actually will consciously override that basic result if the person in front of you is really large. So if, if they're very big, you don't order, and they order a lot, you don't order a lot. Exactly. M- and is it, lo- is it because you say, oh my goodness, this is what ordering a lot does to you. They become, become so fat, I don't want to do this. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I think, you know, it, it also goes in the other way. If they order a little you're not as inclined to order very little. So you'll take more like you would normally take than a very small amount. So maybe you say, whatever they do, I don't want to do anything that they do because it's clearly not, not leading to good outcomes. I think that's more the case. That it's, you know, they're the stigmatized other. We don't want to become like them, and we'll consciously override that impulse to, uh, to do what they do, and, and it gets dampened dramatically. So, so that means that this impulse to imitate other people is basically much more thoughtful than we, we think it is, that we actually can intervene and modify it. Well, I, th- I, I might reframe that. I, might, I think that the notion to imitate others is very hardwired and automatic, but we can, if we don't want to, if, we, if we're conscious of it, we can override it uh, potentially. Uh, very good. Now, uh, lunch is being served. Uh, are you going first or should I? Yeah. Well, what we really, what we've been uh, su- suggesting to everybody is that many of us are concerned that we don't want to eat with large uh, friends. In fact, what you should be worried about is the skinny friend that eats a lot because you'll just automatically do what they do. So we'll have to be conscious of that. Uh, I'm not sure which of us is skinnier, but <laughs> we'll have to go easy in there. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Dan. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely, professor of behavioral economics at Duke University. Learn more at predictablyirrational.com. Predictably Irrational.